Well, you may know of the novel *Lord of the Flies* by William Golding.、Uh, it tells the story of a group of British schoolboys who are stranded on an uninhabited island. They start off pretty well, electing a leader and working together with optimism as they wait to be rescued. But as time progresses, as they experience a lack of purpose other than survival, the semblance of order starts to deteriorate. The boys start to pick on their weaker companions. A rivalry for the leadership commences and splits the boys in two. The boys develop paranoias about the island, believing there to be a beast, and generating fear amongst them. This fear leads them to mistake one of their own for the beast, and beat him to death. Any sense of moral right and wrong then appears to disappear, and the boys are on a course of destruction, with a further murder and setting fire to the forest so that most of the island is consumed by flames. There's complete anarchy. Well, this is a novel that shows the way in which human behaviour can deteriorate to complete destruction if there's no acknowledgement of a higher authority. Interestingly, a section about one of the boys reaching out to God was removed from the final draft of the novel. Well, this might be a made-up story. But it's no different to the countless historical records over the millennia about human behaviour post the fall. Even in supposed civilised societies such as the Babylonians and the Romans, we see the actions of those who deny God. Around the time of Peter's letter, like on the island of the Lord of the Flies, there appears to have been a deliberately lit fire. That almost destroyed Rome. Whether Nero the emperor ordered the fire or not, at the very least, it's recorded that he watched the fire with pleasure, as it killed and made homeless the people under his care. The fire also destroyed the household gods of the people of Rome, the ancient landmarks and ancestral shrines. But Peter says. But now is the time to stop following such destructive human desires, and to follow the will of God instead. That this way of living is now in the past. Now this seems a big ask and really hard to do. It's a battle between the flesh and the spirit, between our human desires and our desire to please God. Between our past and our future, between death and life, Peter knows this is tough, and he charges us to arm ourselves for this battle in verse one. But what do we arm ourselves with? With the same attitude as Christ, who in one Peter chapter three verse eighteen suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. To bring us to God, He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. We will still sin, but Christ's death has dealt with the consequence of our sin once and for all.
This whole section from verses 1 to 6 deals with the tension between the flesh and the spirit, between the past and the, and the rest of time. And it's only the gospel, the good news of Christ and salvation, that can enable us to move from focusing on the flesh to focusing on the spirit, from seeking God's will rather than human desire, enabling us to leave the past behind and taking us from death to life. Well, the twist in the tale about Nero and the fire of Rome is that to shift the blame for the fire from himself, Nero falsely placed the blame on the Christians in Rome. Because they didn't behave as he had, they didn't join in his reckless wild living. He heaped abuse on them and persecuted them, as indicated in verse 4. Being in Rome, Peter knew from first-hand experience what was happening and was able to share this with the churches to whom he was writing. This wasn't theoretical advice. It was lived experience. But Peter's response is not one of revenge or defeat. In verse 5, he reminds his readers that those who persecute them, including Nero, would have to give an account to God and that he would be their judge. Well, we too must face the choice of either taking the path of least resistance, going along with the values, norms, and practices our society accepts and expects, or obeying God and suffering ostracism and judgment from unbelieving family and friends who criticize and condemn us. Willingly suffering in this way even as Christ suffered rejection, demonstrates that we have resolved to be done with sin. And the more society is implicitly hostile to the gospel, the more distinct and countercultural Christian lifestyle decisions become. A Christian's refusal to live as they formerly had implicitly indicts those who continue in those practices. And that's confronting for them. So having reminded us of where we come from, where we've come from, Peter exhorts us in verses 7 to 11 on how we should live together as God's people. This section is not so much about how we interact with non-believers, although it would do us no harm to take this advice in that area. But it's focused on how we relate to one another, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Peter shows us four ways in which we can look out for our brothers and sisters at church. We can pray, love, be hospitable, and serve. Or in the title of the Julia Roberts movie, which I don't recommend as it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen, we can eat, pray, love. Well, so far, as we've worked through Peter's letter, we've noticed that God wants people who follow Jesus to act differently to people who don't follow Jesus. This is because we've been set apart by God to be holy. And by living lives that reflect God's character, we help other people to see God. One of the ways in which people can get a glimpse of who God is, is through the way that we look out for one another. 
our brothers and sisters at church. So let's look a little bit more at the four ways in which we can do this. And if you want to look at this a little bit more in depth later, read Romans 12 and 13, where Paul also uses very similar language, indicating that these values and attributes were possibly part of an early written tradition of the early church. Well, the first thing that Peter encourages us to do is pray. When you pray to God each day, you might pray for your family. You might also want to pray for your church family. When Peter says we should be alert, he means that we should listen out for things that we can pray for. So if we hear that someone maybe isn't feeling so well, we can pray that God will hear them, heal them. Or if we hear that someone is having a hard time at work or uni, we can pray that they will know that God is with them. The second thing that Peter encourages us to do is love one another. People often talk about love as an emotion and something you feel, but actually, love is an action. It's something that we decide to do, and it takes work. Loving people can be easy when things are going well, but sometimes it can be hard. I think that's why Peter suggests we pray for them first, so that we can ask God to help us to love them. Maybe think of a time when a family member hurt you or said something nasty to you. How did that feel? Did you love them in that moment? You might have felt annoyed or angry or hurt. But God encourages us to forgive them, just as he forgives us when we do things that hurt him. So when Peter says that love covers a multitude of sins, he's thinking about all the times we forgive someone because we love them. There's a proverb that says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. It doesn't mean that we just brush off the feeling of hurt when someone sins against us. If we brushed it off, just brushed it off, then we would build up resentment over time. And that would make our relationship with them even worse. No, loving that person means that we work through with them how they have hurt us so that they can repent and we can forgive them. It's not always easy to do this, but it is important. Wayne Grudem reminds us that where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion Every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. We must bear with one another in love, in spite of our different personalities and opinions. Let's be willing to be a people who work at loving one another so that love abounds. Well, one of the ways we can show love to one another is to open our homes to one another when we're not in restricted lockdowns. We can have our friends from church around for coffee or a meal. When Peter wrote this, there were often people from churches in other cities who would come and visit, and they would stay with members of the church. Sometimes they took advantage of this and stayed a long time. 
Peter's telling the Christians not to grumble or complain if this happens, but to keep offering hospitality. It it can be costly and sacrificial to open our homes to others. We can be self-conscious about our personal space and fear that we might reveal too much of ourselves to others. We might feel an expectation to have everything perfect. When was the last time you had people from church around for dinner? Or had another Christian stay with you when they needed help? This has been happening in our hospitality month at St. Columns and happens in our small groups. And it would be great to see it continue as a way of sharing our lives together. As we do this more, we'll realize that our place doesn't have to be perfect because nobody's is. And we can become more comfortable with one another and so encourage one another more in our faith. If you're not in a small group and would like to be, then please come and chat with me after the service. We're all given gifts by God. These are often called spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is any talent or ability which is empowered by the Holy Spirit and able to be used in the ministry of the church. There are lists of these gifts in different passages in the Bible, but they're not an exhaustive list. Gifts could be things like encouraging others, giving, serving, teaching, prophecy. You might know already the gifts that God has given you, or you might still be figuring it out. These gifts are given to us by God's grace. We haven't earned them. However, the thing that Peter is stressing here is that it's important that we use the gifts God has given us to serve others. So the fourth way we look out for people at church is to serve them. This means do, not doing things that are focused on ourselves. It, means, it might mean singing a song we don't like because we know that the person next to us in church finds that a helpful song to praise God. It might mean not taking the last cake at supper after church, but offering it to someone else. It might mean sitting through a bit of the service that we don't enjoy or find boring, because having it in the service encourages someone else. It might mean being quiet and giving someone else a chance to talk. It's hard to do these things because our society pushes us towards thinking individually and focusing on our own needs. But Peter promises us that God provides us the strength we need to serve. So why should we do these things? As the old chorus goes, and you guys will probably not know this, I figured there were enough people this morning who might know this that I would sing it, but (laughs) I won't bother singing it tonight. Um, They'll know we're Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Jesus told his disciples in John 13 that everyone would know they are his disciples if they loved one another. So we seek to do these things by God's strength, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. We have a living hope that we want to share with others, and we pray that they will see this through the way we love one another. So let's think about how we can pray 
love, be hospitable, and serve one another in the coming weeks as we seek to bring praise to God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for all that you give us and do for us. Thank you that you give us the strength we need to love one another. Please help us to do this so that other people can see the love we have for one another and so that they might come to see Jesus in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.